Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Oh, thank I was wondering what to give my wife. I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Welcome to the first ever bonus episode of this podcast. So, I've had the privilege to get to know the authors of Resilient, Child Discipleship in the Fearless Future of the Church. Valerie Bell. You know, I think that you you have an untapped resource in leadership and faithfulness and love for children and love for the church in that children's wing. Matt Markins. We just put it all out Mm -hmm. there, and there were painful moments, and there were moments to celebrate, but it just kept getting better because we did not stop leaning in. Chris Marchand. In just the origin story of the book, you know, one of the things that I think we all felt was just this need to drop a, a, a calling to a higher conversation. It's not okay that they walk away. And Mike Handler. One of the things that I think roots us all together, aside from just loving this ministry and being here is the fact that we all have local church experience and love the local church. They've all been frequent guests on the podcast, but we brought them all together for two reasons. One, we believe that the most critical conversation the church can be having today is about the church of tomorrow. Two, now that the book has been released, which by the way, you can go to resilientdisciples.com for more information on how to get the book for you and your team. We believe it is even more urgent for us that we effectively partner with you in the conversations you're already having about the children in your local context. We believe God is up to something. We believe that a revival can come from the children's wing of your church. And we are so excited to partner with you in that work. We had a lot of fun with this episode, but a couple of housekeeping things. We recorded in a different space than normal, so I sound a little different, and you may hear more noise in the background than you're used to. Also, I'm gonna release this conversation in two parts. These guys went back and forth for over an hour, and I really think it's worth your time to hear all of this conversation, but I understand that you may not have an hour to give to this conversation right now, at least not all at once. This episode starts with Mike explaining what surprised him the most now that this book is in the wild. So, thanks for listening. And here's episode nine of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I think one of the things about the book that has surprised me in a very, um, in a very good way, and not surprised as in I didn't think it would happen, I guess I was just kind of taken back by the amount of emotion with which it does happen, is we've, we've, been in the wild where people have read the book and have actually gotten back to us literally with tears in their eyes. And it, that's a very humbling, it's just humbling to be a part of that experience and to have people say, this book has given me so much hope or, or whatever they've said in those situations and to think, man, like, okay. So we were just an instrument in order to convey hope or envision uh, a better forward path or whatever it might be. And, and just to know that um, God can use us in that regard has been um, very humbling. And, and in the same regard, I pray it's just the beginning like I pray it's just the beginning of those types of reactions, not because of anything that we've done or Awana or anything like that, but because the local church and, and, 
people who lead children's and youth ministry need to have that type of encouragement and in type of envisioning and then that type of rallying cry, I think, to a better preferred future. I think um, our voices are different, but our perspective is the same. And so uh, when I began to message resilience, it wasn't really called that then. It's been called a lot of different things. Um, These guys were picking it up, and all of a sudden I was hearing their version of it and realized that uh, they were contributors to the thought going out there that it wasn't just me. It was all of us. And I loved uh, hearing the different voices. We didn't try to sound like each other. Uh, So I liked hearing Chris's take on it and Matt's take on it and Mike's take on it, all of our personalities and our um, this kind of the scrim that our thought goes through are very apparent in the book. So I could talk about these guys and tell you what they brought to the process. Okay. <laughs> but no, actually, no, I wouldn't be super curious. Like, from your perspective, what were, what did these guys add? Like, what was their perspective like? So, when I came to Awana, um, it was very soon after I'd come that I realized there was more creativity per square foot in this building than just about any place in the kingdom. And I came out of Willow background. So, that's actually saying quite a bit. And uh, so each one of them uh, have a super creative approach. Um, uh, it, it, Matt and I talk about Mike Handler being the extension of our right brain. So we, Matt and I will come up with this great, fabulous idea. Or at least we think it is. We think it is. <laughs> we think there's a period on it. It's done. And Handler will get hold of it, and he will make it even better. Hmm. And I haven't experienced a lot of people who could do that, Uh, really. You know, they a lot of times they'll edit it and make changes in it, but to really take it and push it to that next area. Um, And then Matt is an artist in a in some strange and interesting ways, though, because (laughs) he is a strategic artist, and um, you can look. He he thinks in pictures. So whenever he's leading a meeting, the walls are covered with white sheets and drawings, and, and that's how he communicates to us. And so um, when we got to the point where we needed a strategic voice who's going to put all these ideas together, bring the data, um, bring the studies in, it, of course it was Matt. It was Matt. And then Chris uh, I just love Chris's mind, and um, I'm always amazed at the words he can put on things that make something that you may think you know very well suddenly come alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love his passion for kids, his passion for uh, excellent communication, all of those things. And so I think it was actually... Uh, uh, not only a unique combination, but a combination uh, with a lot of um, synchrony to it. 
same passion, same basic idea, same we want to move the church into a place of renewal from the children's wing. But each of us took a little different piece, a little different approach, and to me, it makes a really powerful whole. Yeah, that's good to hear. Same passion, same passion. And I think I think some of that. One of the things that I think roots us all together, um, aside from just loving this ministry and being here, is the fact that we all have local church experience and love the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris has served as a pastor in a number of churches. Um, Matt has been on staff and has been key volunteers in local churches. Valerie, you've been involved in local churches. Um, I was a pastor and church planter. And so you have this, I think we all have this love for the local church Mm -hmm. as an entity. And we see it as a great hope, Mm -hmm. you know, in this world. Mm -hmm. And especially as it relates to kids, because, you know, we all have that story too, where our childhoods were made better because of local church and the local church presence in our lives. And sometimes as a, a lifeline and sometimes just as a stability factor and sometimes just as a constant, right? No matter what, what it was for each and every one of us. And I think um, knowing and seeing that potential of the local church uh, and seeing it together and being able to dream about that together, I think was a, was a key influence. So in the pretty book. early on, we started calling this a love letter to mm-hmm. the church. And I think this is a third book, project that I've been a part of. One was very removed, very structural and strategic. The other one was very, very involved in very much like an engineer building. This was being the third one I've been a part of. This was much more like a work. This is more of an artistic approach, meaning we took several iterations at this thing and it, it, it kept kind of, yeah. kind of doing this a little bit more like pottery perhaps than uh, just straight up. Hey, we had the outline from day one and it never changed. So uh, yeah, I think it was very much a shaping creative process because we felt that this love letter had to be right. It mm-hmm. had to communicate mm-hmm. the right heart yep. to the church. Yep. Yep. I think one of the things that I love about it is the uh, all every single word is is an expression of what is authentically seen and what I see in all four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about uh, you know, a caring, loving adult. That that's not that's not an idea that's disconnected from who we are. Mike, kind of like what you were saying, but we've we've embodied that as a local church practitioners. Yeah. But it's but on a greater sense, it's it's just how we do life. Yeah. Because even in the construction of the book and creating the book, there there was a lot of care, there was a lot of love. Uh, but then there were moments where we felt like we are the fire carriers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're taking mm-hmm. a message into the into the future and a and a call to action that is just so strong and so timely that. Uh, um, anyway, just the, the creation of the book was, it, it was coming from an ethos inside of us that was true and authentic. And I think it made something truly beautiful mm. on the other side of it. What I like too, if I may, the, the fact that we would call it out in one another. Mm. And that was, a, that was a really special part of some of the collaborative meetings I can remember, you know, in terms of like one of us would come up with an idea and then we would just, yeah. we would just bat it around for a while together. And, and then it would kind of form into this other thing, uh, much better than, and much greater than, 
maybe what we originally brought, uh, any single one of us. And that was, for me, that was just a fantastic part of this process. Uh, and you can only do that with people who you trust too, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, you bring this thing that's either in your heart, your mind, and you kind of lay it down. You're like, here's, here's this. <laughs> yeah, and that's not vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and, but, but that's what you get with people who, whom you just trust a great deal is you, you have the ability to be entrusted with those things and mm -hmm. to not squander that. I don't think any one of us held back on the vulnerability. We just put no, yeah, it yeah. all mm -hmm. out there yep. and there were painful moments and there were moments to celebrate, mm -hmm. but we, it just kept getting better because we did not stop leaning in. Yeah. Do you guys agree with this, that Beside the book being formed, there was a team that was being formed. And uh, I remember our first offsite, Matt, you had the great idea of let's talk about our childhoods. <laughs> and we got around the table and it was so sad. I mean, you know, you look at this person, they look so whole and well and smart and healthy and you realize they were a battered child. Each one of us around the table had these really horrific stories of our childhood. But they all ended with this, but there was a church. Yeah. That was powerful. And you see, yeah. and God yeah. just brought us all together. We, we look at 2050 through the eyes of children who are going to be experiencing really tough things. Because as children, we experienced really tough yeah. things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes a difference. Yep. Absolutely. 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 When um, I became CEO here, uh, I was keenly aware that what I was going to be calling 4.5 million children around the globe to was to follow Jesus completely, totally, to be other than everybody else around them, to be that kid who doesn't fit in, uh, to be the one who says, I'm not this, I'm this and to identify with Christ. And so uh, I, I recognize this as not only a great responsibility, but a huge opportunity to form a generation or two of Christian kids to be resilient disciples. Mm. I saw that from the beginning, and I think it's because I have grandchildren. So I'm looking at 2050. I won't be here. They'll be here. I want them to be leading the church. I want them to be those tough ones who don't stop uh, producing a moral conscience for this culture. I want them to be engaged. I want them to be brilliant and bright and beautiful. So, so to connect that to the, to the church, the person boots on the ground, who's got a youth group of 25 kids. You know, if you were a youth pastor in 1978, this thought hit me just last night. If you were a youth pastor in 1978, if you could teach the Bible and throw a pizza party, you could be a great youth pastor. Box wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> he had to roller skate. Too. And, and <laughs> had to roller skate. Yeah. But if you're a youth pastor today, you've got to be not only an expert in how to teach the Bible, but how to connect with kids, how to use mobile technology, how to talk about sexual identity crisis, how to talk about science and creation. Yeah. You have to be an expert at so many things because our kids have visibility into everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then you even throw in the fact that you have to have gluten-free pizza and dairy-free oh, pizza yeah. and, you know. So the demand so to take Valerie's yeah. thought of helping these kids love Jesus for the rest of their life and how important this the gospel is, but kids are trying to interpret all that through a very, uh, shifting uh, tectonic plates of, of a very different culture, right? Yeah. So it's a different world. How do we help them? And totally. we're at different places. You have teenage sons, so yeah. you're in the thick of that yeah. right now. Yep. That, yep. that um, the velocity of the 
secular culture pull is, is yeah, it's right, in the palm right of on their your hand. kids. Yep, yep, right in the palm of their hands. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I know the conversation that I stepped into into the church was, uh, and by the way, they're all going to walk away, so keep throwing the pizza parties, um, uh, which, which to me was a, a holy discontent because I'm just like, no, that's not okay. Um, we need to be preparing them to yeah. write, to write out and meet the culture head on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's in just the origin story of the book. I know one of the things that I think we all felt was just this need to drop a, a, a calling to a higher conversation. It, it's not okay that they walk away from mm-hmm. the and church. That, that's it's, kind of the yeah. problem with the book though, is that we're, everyone in children's ministry and youth ministry is kind of looking around saying, we all know everything's changed. But how do we have these difficult conversations? So we've kind of just slid the book out there and said, okay, <laughs> let's have a conversation. Absolutely. Uh, but we want to do, we, I think we attempted to do that with empathy, right? Yeah, but we always. know there's some hard questions in here. It's not like we're the only ones asking them. Yeah. We just kind of collected them here. And we're asking them of ourselves. Absolutely. So we're not saying Awana is going to solve all your problems. No. We think resilience bridges across any type of curriculum you might be using with kids. It's Absolutely. not a curriculum conversation. No, no, no. And so, yeah, it's it's really, we were willing to ask ourselves those hard questions first. Well, and the world doesn't know this, but we've been asking ourselves those questions going back seven or eight years yep. or so. We've been asking those questions, yeah. I think in the face of all those all those conversations and statistics, here's here's a conversation that's dripping with hope. Yeah, yeah. That that's that 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 the, that footnote doesn't have to be that way. Let's have a hope filled conversation. Because the thing that still sticks out to me is the subtitle of the book, The Fearless Future of the Church. Mm-hmm. It is so dripping with hope. Yeah. And I think for such a time as this in our culture, it's, it's, it's a timeless um, inclusion in the conversation. When I, See was, what I mean about Chris? Who, who says dripping with hope? Chris says dripping with hope. It's oozing. But that was a distinction I know that we were very strategic in making as well. Uh, Valerie, you brought that up a number of times. You know, there's 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 a number of people and organizations who are saying we're living in hard exilic times, right? Who who are saying, you know, it's over. Yeah, yeah, the best days are behind us. And and you were very quick with this team and and with this overall ministry to say, time out. That's that's not what we believe. Like we can yeah. still have the courage to hope. Because we are still shaping generations of kids. How do you feel when you hear people say we are living in a post-Christian culture? I say, hey, let's go on the attack. You know, let's. <laughs> let's Is there let's a period that. on that no, when you hear that? No, no, there no. isn't for me. No. Either. Yeah. No, because because that would that would that would say that God is powerless to change things. Yep. You know, what I think I think we see in various parts of the world highly unlikely situations where the hope of the gospel is awakening the church in new and vibrant ways. Mm-hmm. Especially in places where they thought it was over. Totally. And all of a sudden there's a spark of real yep. vibrant Christianity mm-hmm. that begins to ignite, you know, and, you know, for us, we just see that spark starting in the children's wing of That's the right. church. Absolutely. Yeah. Does that sound be. funny? Does that yeah. sound like we're... We're crazy, maybe. I don't think so because I think it's I think it's what's in God's story. He uses the unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the small. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
I think having kids makes that kind of a you have to strike that fine line you can't just throw in the towel like no. whether it's grandkids or kids you know when when you have the responsibility of raising a generation to believe the gospel is alive and true and and to believe the authority of scripture and to believe that jesus is able to be followed you can't just say like we're living in post-christian times because i would say that you're do- what you're doing is going to bear no fruit and it's, you know, all the effort is wasted. And I think for, for us, whether as a lovey or grandmother uh, or as dads over here, you know, as, as parents of kids, you know, like all of us are trying to do this in a way that sets up our grandchildren or our kids to so, know that the so whole gospel is So our true. memories are not so short that we don't remember the prayer movements and the revival movements. But to ask ourselves what led to those. What led to those? And it was it was people that had a clear vision that was directly connected to what Jesus was doing and to prayer. And I think that's that's why God gave the world Hayden, right? When the world mm-hmm. he gave us Hayden, right? Yeah, so we saw this picture and we were we thought we were done with the book. And we saw this picture of this boy, and he's kind of not quite a man. He's in that awkward stage. And talk about awkward, though. He's standing in front of the pole of his high school on a day called See You at the Pole. But he's the only one there. And this kid had the fortitude to not only stay there, but to pray to God for God to use this in a special way. He recognized the awkwardness of the situation. Maybe God was in it. And um, we saw that, and I think God saw it too, because, you know, it says in Scripture, God's eyes search the earth looking for those whose hearts are right towards him. I think he saw Hayden that day because God answered Hayden's prayer for God to do something with his embarrassing standing alone with a big boom, you know. It went viral. And we saw that, and we all of a sudden knew there was our first chapter because this kid was showing us hope that we can't give up on the generations that are following us, that there are resilient disciples. He was resilient. We loved that. Well, and that's why it's why we love this this cover, right? Like this this is Hayden right here. This is yes. this is Daniel. This is Esther. This is the church when the church feels marginalized. Wherever we're talking about historically or in the world right now, the, anyone who has felt like they have been pushed to the margins or even seek, sought to be silent, like this is our story. That God, but what happens is other people witness that resiliency and that faith and that 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 discipleship and say that inspires me to it want does. to live my life for Christ like never before. Yeah. And I think at times, um, if we talk about revival movements, right, I think at times it comes from a, from perhaps the uh, afterglow of a powerful movement in within a church or a local church movement, meaning it's almost when it seems the most hopeless that God shows up in the most unlikely and powerful ways uh, throughout church history and revival history. And I think we may be at that time. And we might be at the time where why wouldn't it happen from the kid's wing yeah. where you have 
people who are innocent enough to believe and and faithful enough to believe that what Jesus does in the scripture is actually real mm-hmm. and it happens and it can still happen and they put their faith and trust. I mean, what greater thing for leaders of kidmen and ch- and youth to be able to say like, look in the Bible. Let's try out some of these things that they talk about here. Not to mention the fact that the invest, an investment in children is the most strategic. Oh, yeah. It's the most fruitful, mm-hmm. the most future forward investment in the church today. Yeah. A lot of times I meet these Awana volunteers who've been volunteering for 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not unusual. And I always ask them, what got into you? And they said, I fell in love with kids or some version of that. I think that we've underpotentiated the power of a person who will do that for 30 years and show up. Because, look, at, I don't know very many choir members who do, did that. I, and I'm a musician. I don't want to put choir members down. But, um, you know, I think that you, you have an untapped resource in leadership and faithfulness and love for children and love for the church in that children's wing. Yeah. And if we could envision them with their role, to speak health into the church, to, to speak uh, the power of God's presence in the potentiate future of those little kids, <clears throat> we could have quite an enormous impact on the direction the church is going now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, what Well, I think part of it is if, if we keep doing what we've been doing, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting. <laughs> and so without a without a, a strategic conversation that, that leads to changing tactics, we're, we're going to keep having the pizza parties and, you know, keep making sure that the gym is open for open gym and the, the type of seismic shifts and changes that we want to see and also the equipping in the life of the child, the things that we kind of look for expectationally aren't going to be there. Mm. Um, because we didn't seed it. <laughs> and so I think if we just kind of sort of pretend, like, let's just go around business as usual as if nothing has changed, a lot has changed. Yeah. And so we need to be able to change with it and then also equip them with a discipleship toolbox that's going to serve them well in the midst of a sh- of a shifting culture. Yes. Yeah, it would be the yeah. law of diminishing returns. I mean, absolutely, it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then also making sure that we're not ministering to the kids in our minds of 30 years ago either. Like yeah. that, what got you here isn't going to be what's going to get you there. The, yeah. the the mountain on the horizon is a whole different mountain. <laughs> yeah. So your, your question, Ross, lends to some of the difficult topics that we tackle in Chapter 8. Uh, in particular, what we ask essentially the children's ministry community over the course of several years through four research projects that Awana's conducted – what is it that leads to long-term fruit in the lives of kids? Um, and to, to a large degree, uh, children's ministry leaders can't point to those things. And, and, and even so, uh, the community has said, we don't really know how to track those things. Um, so I think there's this sense of children's ministry. We, we, we know kind of what to do programmatically, large group, small group, maybe some midweek and activities. But within that, if we, if we say we want to impact the future in a big, big way, where if we could only invest in three things or two things or five things, what would those be? And there's not a clear answer on that. And it's, it's very concerning, especially when you add underneath all of that is the shifting cultural landscapes. 
So as a children's ministry community, for us to be able to identify, well, what are those things that are most significant that lead to long-term impact? Identifying what that is is going to be absolutely critical. And obviously we talk about that, but that's a big piece of the conversation. I probably would go even a little further. Uh, and, uh, and that is, I believe that there is a movement uh, political correctness to silence the moral consciousness of Christianity. In other words, to silence us, to bury us, to push us out to the margins where what we think doesn't matter anymore. And when you combine that movement in our culture with the fact that most uh, our church-going kids are only there 1.7 times a month, which we contend you can't create disciples when they're only there 24 hours, you've got a group of kids growing up who aren't ready for the tsunami of secular pushback that they're going to have. And so, you know, we're really interested in, in a sense, uh, not just protecting, but arming them with the things that they'll need to be able to engage that culture. Uh, we don't think the church can afford for them to be pushed to the margins. Yep. And so uh, we talk about things like spine and heart. How do you gain favor in a conversation that's secular? So, you know, we've all had social media descend on us without any instruction how to use it. And we've all seen Christians make absolute, um, what's the word, fools of themselves. (laughs) (laughs) And we wish we could take those words and erase them, you know, because they get pulled into those conversations. So, you know, we say spine and heart. So first identify with the things you can. Um, there was a lot of talk on, for instance, take uh, J-Lo's halftime entertainment at the Super Bowl, you know. That was very controversial. And a lot of Christians used words like vulgar and vile even to describe it. But I saw one woman, and I thought she, she had this concept down so well. She said, those are beautiful women, and they are talented women. And I have some of their albums. I love listening to them. But we all are responsible for our influence on the culture. And then she went into all these facts about um, uh, uh, pornography and um, prostitution. It was all documented. See, that's spine and heart. So she didn't start out with her with the assumption of evil. She started out with the assumption of you you mean well, but this is where it goes awry. We're teaching that to kids. Yeah. So without a, without a clear target. We're going. We're not. We're not going to arrive. So you're, you go back to your question. We're not. We're not going to arrive where we intend to arrive because the future is going to be so different. So yeah, we've got to make changes. Yeah. The the days of the reactionary Christian mm-hmm. in social media is is just not a winning strategy moving forward. Um, there's a there's a call to do exactly Valerie what you said is a call to a, a more thoughtful conversation a more holistic conversation um, not playing with just one ingredient but multiple ingredients Good. and so I think the kids of our of the future of today and then also tomorrow it's it's not hey here's how here's how to use one thing really well you need to know how to use multiple things really well it's it's almost a, a, a call to a, a new form of Christian Renaissance ah which is no it's just no it's I love that it's a it's it's beautiful because you, you can't just think in the, through the lens of the engineer you got to think through the lens of an artist mm-hmm. you you got to be able to paint and use all the brushes in your box. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the colors, because it's, I think the thing that the church is learning is that everything that we thought was simple is not so simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
I think it's about relationships. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, oftentimes, boy, I was, you know, <laughs> church planting in the world of social media, it is the worst. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, just to be, just to be very frank, you can, you can really get swept up in a very, um, without even trying in regards to reporting your numbers or reporting the great things that happened, you know, and, uh, I don't know if I've shared this before, but you know, there was, it was, uh, there was this mega church that was, that was going on and raving about a million people who would come to their Easter service. And this is when I was pastoring and church planting. I thought, Oh man, that'd be awesome. My mom fell asleep while I preached today. It's just like, (laughs) this is, this is not great, but, but, but you can get into a comparison game and then, then those relationships become nothing more than stats and numbers. And I think one of the great things that we uh, in very practical church ministry and children's and youth ministry need to put in front of us is that those are more than just stats. They're more than just the attendance records. They're more than just that. They are lives that matter so very deeply. And, and each of them could be a specific calling to a, a, a different area, a different neighborhood, a different part of the world, whatever it might be. Uh, so I do think a part of that, to answer your question, Ross, a part of that is to remember that these are actual lives <laughs> that we're ministering to and with <clears throat> and for, uh, and you know, to quote Valerie from earlier, these are people who, these are kids who will follow Jesus, yeah. not just learn about him or, um, you know, be really good at reciting a couple of verses from here and there, but really to, to follow Jesus as disciples mm-hmm. on a journey for the rest of their lives. In, in, in the past, uh, in a seemingly Christian or homogenous, or majority Christian or homogenous culture, right? There was so much in that culture that could point toward Jesus, the yeah. church, or the ways of Christianity. So to your point, Mike, to be a high, in today's world, in the future world, where even interpreting who is Jesus, what is the gospel, how do we even know the Bible's true, what is this thing, like, mm. in order to translate through all of that noise, the church is going to have to be a belonging church yeah. and a highly relational church that has just love projecting outward and allowing for those questions to exist. Yeah. You know, like I don't, I think, you know, we used to do sword drills growing up and everything else. And there's nothing wrong with knowing where scriptures are in the Bible. It's a really, it's a good thing. Um, but let's, let's not praise the absolute of knowledge and the absolute absence of question. I think that that's, that gets to be harmful because then you don't feel brave enough to ask those questions. How will they know? Yeah, exactly. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. All of this is to accomplish our mission of equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Norris and Phil Wallace for making this podcast happen. Go to ResilientDisciples.com for resources and many more of these conversations.